From the folks at Not Safe for Mom Group, this is the Not Safe for Mom Group podcast, where we bring you real moms telling you real stories about their lives. The stories that usually take a few glasses of wine or a whole lot of trust to get someone to open up about. These are the stories that are often kept in the vault that we only hear from a best friend, but once we hear them, we recognize something of ourselves in them. It's a relief to know that whatever crappy thing we've gone through, someone else has experienced it too. And now that that's out there, we can support one another through it. I'm your host and the founder of Not Safe for Mom Group, Alexis Barag Cutler. I'm also a mom of two, and after having kids, have had to face some of the more complicated parts of my past and present. And whenever I've done so, it's always helped me connect with people, which is why this work is so important to me. Welcome to Mom Group. Hey, Mom Group. So our guest today is someone that I was really excited to bring on as soon as I saw their email um, to me after I was seeking submissions for guests, because my eye was immediately drawn to her signature. It said the word rabbi. And I thought first, wow, female rabbi, that's different. And I was really curious, just number one, like, what's that like? You know, what's her life like? How did that happen? How'd she become a rabbi? Um, And then I I read up to the top. Um, The topic she wanted to talk about was what happens when the leader doesn't have the answers? And I think that that is such a universal question and metaphor for how many, for what so many of us are feeling right now, especially as parents. Because I, I feel like generally in the midst of this pandemic, going into year three, we all feel like we're drowning right? And yet we have these little people who are depending on us, looking to us for answers, for balance, stability, calm. And we also feel like we're drowning. And I thought it would be a really interesting discussion to take a a person, a community leader that people depend on for that same type of support and talk to her about what that's like to support a community when you're going through the same thing that they're going through. So welcome to the show. Thanks Rabbi. for having me. I, I told you, I think when, when I first reached out that I wished this community the podcast Instagram account had existed when I was a brand new mom, because I sure could have, I mean, I could still use it, but wow, I sometimes read the the stories and the worries and the pain. And I'm like, yeah, I was, I was right there. I might be there differently now, but like, wow, was I right there? Yeah. And what type of community did you have when you were right there? I mean, look, I was lucky. I, um, I had a lot of friends who've been through it a little bit before me and, you know, their kids were just a little older, but so they could sort of be there, but also be far enough away. Uh, and I was actually really lucky. I signed up for a, you know, a facilitated mom's group and just got really lucky. It was, it was a good mix of folks and, and there's still people, you know, our group chat goes and there's still people I can turn to and be like, uh, are your kids doing this? Is that, is that normal? Yeah. Um, is so this normal? I, yeah, exactly. Is this normal for moms? Exactly. Or like, are kids supposed to be doing this thing that my kid is doing? Yeah. And you're like, please say yes. Please, please say yes. <laughs> I mean, someone could either like, if I was like really creative, like something, there's got to be some comedy series to be made just about like the things new parents Google at three in the morning, right? Like that Google search history from, oh yeah, you know. But then like, I, I don't want to digress too far here, but like then you get to this point in motherhood where your kids are six, seven, eight. And you're Googling some really crazy shit. <laughs> I feel like I'm just on the cusp of that, right? You're like, this really, like, uh, my older son's going to kill me, but it's like, why are you biting your toenails? <laughs> why would you think that toenails should go into your mouth? Right. right. And like the things that you say, and you're like, I never thought I would hear myself say that, but here we are. Right. It's like, get your fingers out of 
And I never thought I would complete that sentence with the things that I've completed. (laughs) But I will say more on track in terms of like that mom group. I also want to name sort of as, as part of this conversation, right? They were people who didn't know me in my professional role, right? So when I met them, I mean, I'm sure it came up relatively soon, um, but like when I met them, it was sort of like the great equalizer, right? Like we were all in it because our babies were like, you know, eight weeks old or 10 weeks old. And and that was the dynamic. So, and there was a facilitator who wasn't me. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Oh, so nice. Yeah. I like being able to sit back and be like, and I don't have to lead this talking circle. Right. Except, I don't know, you might have this too. I did a second mom, when I had my second kid, I was like, I'm going to do a second time mom's group. And like, the it was not a good match. Um, neither the group nor the facilitator. And I don't know if you have this also, but like as someone who facilitates, I was like, I don't know if I can sit here. <laughs> You're like, like I, I wanted to, to just take over. Right? I want to lead. So I would love to know, what was it like as a female rabbi, you know, going through the pregnancy, like trying to get, trying to conceive, being pregnant, and then being on the pulpit and, you know, being so visible as your body goes through this process? It's such a good question. And I think, you know, I, I, I never want to speak for all, um, you know, female identifying rabbis, but I think those of us who have been pregnant can, can all sort of have this similar experience. And, and I think there is, again, like, it's just a magnification of what there is in society, which is that I think people feel like really entitled to women's bodies and women's stories. Um, you know, the like, I'm going to touch the belly. And, um, you know, I will never forget the first person who went to touch my stomach was someone I wasn't that close with. And they went and I literally was like, oh, no. And a colleague was like shocked that I said it, but I really was like so surprised. Um, even though I know, again, like out there in the world, there is this sense of like, ownership or familiarity with women's bodies. You know, I, I think about a lot. So I went through IVF with both kids. Um, with the first, it was much, you know, it was a longer like lead up to IVF. So there was like much more of the the emotional pain of it all. And, and right, like I gained weight and, you know, people would come up and congratulate me. Um, and, you know, I think the hardest thing about the public piece of it of that part was the like, I, I still had to be their rabbi, right? So like my natural instinct when someone would congratulate me would be like, be super snarky, be super mad. Like it just, first of all, like people don't comment. Right. <laughs> just don't, you know. Just actually, admire from afar. <laughs> right. Well, I think it was George Carlin, right? Who was like, never congratulate a woman on their pregnancy unless you are their OB and they are crowning, right? Like you don't know. Right. Like, and so people would come up to me and really like it was in the middle of, you know, I remember I had like just come from the doctor and like it was like another failed IUI or something. And someone was like, oh, congratulations. Oh, right? and, like you can't see our faces, but we're both making the like, are you kidding me? And I think in those moments, it just felt really hard because I, right, like I still had to be their rabbi. And so. I couldn't have my actual emotional reaction because I had to, you know, be there for them. And I remember there was one person that I sort of snarked to. I was just not kind when they said it to me. Uh, And it was this super awkward encounter. And I remember later feeling like, oh, I need to apologize to this person. Really? Yeah, because I felt like in that moment, I wasn't their rabbi and, and I needed to be. And so... That was hard. I think, you know, I think maybe because I went through IVF and all that, I I will say that when it was more public, um, like when it was more obvious and when like it was sort of out in the community, I had told people, I I really tried to like lean into even when people like said vaguely inappropriate that, you know, every every woman gets either. I never got you're so small. That was never an issue. But like, are you sure it's just one in there? Right. Like, I tried, I really did try to sort of take all of that in love. And, and, and I, even when people would like congratulate me on my pregnancy when I wasn't, which is the worst still, like, I still hate that. Um, I still, I, in my better moments, I did try to take it as a sign, like that they really did like love, want my, like they wanted to see that 
for me and for my husband, right? They like wanted to see us grow our family. And so I tried in my better moments to lean into that, but I I also definitely had lesser moments. That must've been so hard too, because when you're going through IVF, you're like extra crabby, you know, extra hormonal, and you're just the whole time this public figure trying to hold it together. Yeah. And there were, you know, I, there were definitely moments on the public figure part. And again, like, I think, you know, I know that these are experiences that other people going through it have also, right? That like, I know there are people going through IVF for whom baby showers are just torture. Um, For me, it was the like, am I going to lead a baby naming right now? Right? Again, like I just found out that my, you know, whatever failed. Can I really like be up there, like welcoming this new baby? Um, and so I, I sort of had to think about how to redraw boundaries a little bit in that time um, and do it in a way that, again, I think protected me a little, but also didn't make someone feel like I wasn't there for them. Right. That must have been so difficult. Yeah, there, that was that was hard. I'm 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 I am thankful that I feel like that that part is behind me. You know, now I'm like, yes, give me all the babies. I will hold all the babies. You're like, if I can hold babies now. Right. And it, right. it's so unfair because a, a male identifying rabbi doesn't undergo the same type of scrutiny right. as they're growing their family. Right. Right. I mean, I think some of my male identifying colleagues, like, you know, I could think of a couple who've been, you know, married or partnered for a while. You know, and I always say, like, I was always actually a little bit surprised by who said stuff. That's like where I was like, but you you went through IVF. Like you you haven't figured out, like we've been married for five and a half years. Like I sort of feel like either we don't want kids or like there's something going on. Um, And and so I do have a couple of male identified colleagues where I'm sure there were sort of like whispers, but right, like it doesn't show in their bodies. You know, no one is sitting and like looking at them on the, on the Bima, the, you know, the stage for lack of a better word. Um, and like looking at their belly and being like, does it look bigger, right? Or the worst, which is like, and you definitely have people saying this, like, I noticed that your boobs got bigger. And oh my like, God. Why are you looking at my boobs? Oh my God. Your like congregation, congregants would say, I've noticed I mean, your boobs. Friends also. But yeah. Like, but, right. You know. So tell us a, a little bit about your family. So uh, my husband and I have been married. It'll be 15 years in November. Um, thank you. Um, which like, it's funny. I work with a lot of wedding couples. So like with wedding couples, I feel like we've been married forever, but I also like, you know, work with people who've been married for 40 years and I'm like, ah, we're just children. Um, which I guess is kind of like the definition of middle age. (laughs) I, um, and we have two children. So I have an eight year old, uh, and a five year old and thank God they are healthy and thriving even in this insane time. Um, you know, and I, the other, I think like significant family piece right now we talked a little bit about is that I am like very solidly in the sandwich generation. Uh, my father recently passed away and my mom, uh, I'm an only child. And so, and my mom has had some like significant health challenges in the past couple of months. And so I've said to a few friends, like, forget about the sandwich generation. Um, like, I am a panini. (laughs) I am just smushed in the middle of it. I love that. Yeah, I think you're the first person who has said to me panini generation. Oh, I like it. Let's let's make. I'm going to make it trend. Or maybe it's an LA thing. Mm, But we don't eat gluten here. I mean, I do, but LA, you know, doesn't. Yeah, they doesn't eat sandwiches. They don't touch paninis. That's true. I guess LA, like uh, I don't know, like 30 years ago when it would have been like a fancy sandwich and right. we're just yes. eating hoagies here in New York or something. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's sort of the crux of what I wanted to explore, which is everyone's going through the shitty thing, the pandemic, everyone's oh, yeah. suffering. And so are you. And every day you have to be there for suffering people but you're also have this ticker tape through your own head of like my dad, my mom, my kids, myself. And what's that like? Like a panini, right? Like, <laughs> and, and, 
you know, again, I think the thing that I keep coming back to is the like, I think it is what lots of us are going through. And it is public, right? So, you know, not, you know, any parent who works out of the house, right, has the like, I have to go to work and I have to do all the work and then I have to be exhausted and then I have to come home and I still have to do the work, right? Um, that's not that's not unique. You know, that that's all of our story. Um, you know, I think the difference is like, I think about like, you know, and, and anyone who has lost a, a loved one, right, goes back to work or goes back to their life after, you know, whatever time they take as bereavement time. You know, I feel like part of the difference is not everyone there's a at the end of Jewish prayer services, we we do a prayer for those who have died. Right. And so it's really actually supposed to be for those who are mourning. But we sort of think about it as for those who have died. And right. Like not everyone has to show up a week or two weeks or a month after their parent or loved one has died and like lead that for a community. Um, and so, you know, like that those were, again, like hard. Like I still actually often when we're sort of talking about like who's leading what part of the service, I I will shy away from that and be like, I, you know, because it's like I'm trying to find this balance between like my own spiritual life and like my own needs and my own grief and also this leadership role. Um, I'm lucky I have colleagues where I can look at them and sort of say like I, I need to be here just as someone who's mourning this week. And they are they've been amazing about that. And also knowing that, like, if I stand up and say, right, like, the whole community knows, which, again, like, is sometimes hard because it just feels like uh, all of my stuff is public, but also can feel really, really supportive, right? Like, the first time I, I came to services after my father had died and I stood up for the prayer, you know, someone, we were we were outside in person and, like, someone came over and, like, safely, I felt fine about it, like put their armor on me and it like sweet, it didn't feel like it was someone I was close enough with, like it actually just felt really supportive. And so it's this balance between, you know, and, and again, I think it's like a little, a lot of what your work is trying to do, which is like, if we tell our, if our stories are public, people can be there with us in those stories. Um, and so I, I, again, like in my better moments, really try to lean into the, like, by being this public, Right. First of all, I get the support that I need, but also like, does someone else get the support that they need? Right. Can someone else get something from from my story, from my grief, from my parenting? Mm -hmm. And by seeing you as a human being going through a human thing, they almost get I don't want to use the word permission, but kind of like permission to reach out you know, and yeah. ask for help. Right. I always hope that, right? Like that is sort of, to me, like the ultimate, um, I teach homiletics, which is like the fancy word for how to write a sermon or a homily. Uh, I teach to rabbinic students. And one of the things that we've been talking about is like the ways that we share our stories, right? How does that actually open the door for someone to come in and say, you know, you mentioned this thing, like, that's where I am. Help me. Um, and that's really beautiful, right? To be able to open the door for someone to bring their pain, their worry, their grief, um, or their joy. Mm -hmm. right? Like, it doesn't all have to be like the pain and, and the mm -hmm. agony. But I think right now, most of us are sitting more in pain and worry and grief than we are in joy. So pre-pandemic, there would be like, you know, one person maybe coming to you and saying, Rabbi, can you support me through this issue? But I'm imagining that now you're bombarded with 10 people, you know, I don't know the numbers, but like <laughs> way more than that. <laughs> so yes and no. I mean, I think there's two things that I'm thinking of. One, you know, I think that Part of the, the challenge with the pandemic is just that, again, everything is magnified and people are coming, you know, even if it's sort of like, and I'm putting this in air quotes that no one can see, like normal grief, like a grandparent who passed away of old age, right? Like it's not about COVID and it's not, but so many of the tools that faith and tradition and society have created to hold that, like don't exist, right? In, in Jewish tradition, 
we sit Shiva, right? Like you have people at your house, like literally and metaphorically, like holding you and have, having done it over Zoom, right? Like it's not the same thing. Um, and so I feel like what we're experiencing along with just like grief that people are having trouble naming is also like loneliness, right? And as someone leading a community, like a community that is dedicated to like making people feel not alone, like that is just hard to be, like I can say like you're not alone, but it can still feel really lonely. Right. Right. You're like talking to someone on a screen. You're like, I'm there. Right. Right. I'm, I'm here for you. But you're not actually there. Yeah, no, that that does kind of feel a little bit, it feels inauthentic, even though you're trying to be, you know, super authentic. Yeah. And then the other thing that I was thinking about as you were asking is, you know, and and I recognize all the, the gender pieces and all of that, but like the mom's load that, that I think we had all felt like we are carrying through this pandemic. Um is, is again, for me, I think in particular, I've noticed like there's a, my, my kids go to school with me, right? Like, so I have this dual role with a lot of the women in my community where I am their rabbi. Um, and, and they will come to me and say, you know, my sister-in-law is going through this or, you know, but I'm also a fellow mom. Right. And so I was thinking back at the very beginning of the pandemic, we, you know, when people were, I mean, I think not that we're that much better now, but like really this was in like May, 2020, I think when like all of us had just sort of figured out like, this is not going away. Right. Like, cause when we all went home in March, it was like, okay, see you in a couple of weeks. And then it was like, okay, like maybe the end of the school. Right. And then there was that sense of like, oh, you know, and we were all like, no school had figured out distance learning yet. So like, I don't know, I had a kindergartner and a three-year-old running around my house who had like you know, and like their poor teachers were trying so hard, but like no way. And it was just utter chaos. So we did like, we did a, a support group for, it was for parents. It was open to all parents, um, you know, and, and it was interesting because it was me, I was co-facilitating with, with a therapist, but really did have this sense of like, hmm, am I co-facilitating or am I participating, right? Like, am I in this as a rabbi? Right. And therefore, am I bringing wisdom? Am I bringing an answer? Am I bringing you guidance? Or like, am I in it as a mom being like, I am breaking here. Um, and and I'm still not sure I have the answer to, to which one I was or which one I, I am needed to be. So when you're in this group where you're just not sure where the delineation is between like you as leader or you as mom, did you not feel like you could say how you wanted to show up? So, you know, look, I think that that's a lot of my learning, right? Is like, how do I actually show up as both? Because like, I am both and, you know, whatever we want to call it, like living my truth or just like living my life. Like I have to be able to show up as both, but I was really conscious in that moment of um, like my name had been on the thing as, as like co-facilitated by. Right. And so I felt like I can bring my own stories and worries, right? Like they know, right? like they follow my Instagram. So like <laughs> yeah. they saw the memes that I was posted today, right? Like they know that I'm in it with them. And also like, it's not that I think I have wisdom necessarily for them, but like I could bring them like, here's some of the texts or here's some of the thinking, like here's something that's been like rolling around in my brain to help me. Maybe it'll help you. Um, you know, I, I and you know, the other thing a, a colleague once said to me again on this question of like, how much of yourself do you share publicly? Um, I, and I, I really liked it. It's like, you, you want to open those doors, you want to build relationship, but it, it's not actually, you know, for you, probably a client, right? For me, like, it's not my congregant's job to worry about me, right? Some of them might because like, because that's who they are or because we do end up, you know, in relationship, but like that isn't actually part of the sort of covenant that, that we entered, right? That, that I recognize like it is my job and I, 
And I don't mean that as like nine to five, check it off. But like, it is like deeply my role, maybe role is a better word, like to hold their stuff. It is not actually their role. Like they did not sign up to hold mine. Um, and so I, I think about that when I'm in those scenarios. One could also say that you didn't, you didn't sign up to be holding this space in like this near apocalyptic experience that we're in. I mean, I think about, I have a friend who um, started as head of a head of a school in, I guess, September, 2019. Right. And I say to her all the time, like, you really didn't sign up for this, right? Like, and she had taken the role, like knowing there was like some stuff going on in the school already. And then like seven months in, right? Like, I don't know that I didn't, right? Like I, I sort of feel like part of being a person of faith and being a faith leader means like, actually I did sign up to like hold people's pain when when their world turns chaotic, right? When When they feel like everything is like uprooted, like, and so to some extent, I'm sort of, you know, and, and I think about that a lot in, in people's like personal pain and grief, um, or again, in their like great joy, right? Like your life is also like uprooted and turned upside down when you fall in love or have a first, have a child, right? Like those are also those moments. And so like, I'm kind of like, no, I actually think it is my job to hold people through this like total madness that we're in because like, if no one has the answers, which I think no one has the answers, like at least I come from a, a tradition that, you know, sits, I mean, especially in the pain piece, right? Like so much of at least Jewish wisdom and Jewish literature, but I think in general, faith wisdom and faith literature is about like, what do I do when everything feels sort of torn out from under me? I can really relate to what you're saying because I know that for my colleagues, friends in the motherhood space, you know, we didn't, quote, sign up for this either. And there have been times where we've been so overwhelmed by the pain our communities are going through that we're like, I don't know if I can take it anymore. You know, I don't know if I can hold this on top of the own overwhelm that I'm feeling in my own life. And we're like, you know what? Let's just, let's take a break. Let's just shut it off. And then like two days later, we just come back to it and we're like, oh, I need to take on this person's project. And now I want to help women do this other thing. And, I'm, and also it's like all unpaid labor, but, but it's like, if you're drawn to this work, you're just drawn to it. No matter if like locusts are falling from the sky um, I think that's next. I think that might be. I do actually think so. <laughs> I think it was actually happening in Africa last summer. Like there was like. I remember. Yeah. It's like the killer and then the killer wasps. And yeah, like, we're, we're in it. There there are literally, there are, there is lice in my children's school. No. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> are there boils next? Can I get right. an email about boils? Slaying of the firstborn. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, biblical times, biblical times. Um, but yes, I think that even when you don't think you can take any more, you take on more. And I also think that a lot of that applies to mothers. Yeah. Right. I mean, you sort of said it at the beginning, like whether, you know, yeah, it does. It applies, you know, because my, you know, I, I sort of once, I once heard a, a, th a therapist, someone who specifically works with toddlers and it like shaped my whole parent. It was before I had kids. Um, I don't even know if I, I think I wasn't even pregnant yet. Like, but she said in a, in a talk that I went to, right? Like we can't actually make our kids happy. Like that's not, that's not something we can do. And it's not necessarily something we should be trying to do, but like, we're supposed to be able to give them the tools for sort of resilience. And, and I think a lot about that right now, like, because I do feel, I feel like I'm like a circus performer like trying to like distract them from what's going on in the world and like make their childhood normal and happy. And I'm thinking to myself, like maybe all I can offer is like stability, right? Like forget, like maybe that's like the gift that I have to give them is just like, okay, like the world around us is like nothing any of us have ever seen in so many different ways. But like, you know, you can still know that like, 
dinner's at this time and at time is at this time. And, you know, on for, you know, our family now does a zoom, you know, on Friday nights or whatever it is, like, I'm going to give you these touch points of calm and stability, even if I, um, I mean, there's a reason that Encanto song, right, is like the mom's anthem of, of under the surface, right? Like, I am going to look calm and steady for you. Doesn't matter what else is going on. I love that you just brought us to Encanto. I mean, it's everywhere. It's my favorite. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, every day, my older son asks me, what's, what's the news? Anything mm. new? Anything new? And for a while, I thought that he meant like anything new in our family, because there was some really big stuff going on in our family. And and I would give him updates about things that were happening in our family. And then he was like, no, I mean, just like news, like, is there news in the world? And I realized that he's paying attention to, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? There's a lot of stuff happening in this world. And, um, and I was like, well, then what do I tell him? You know, how much do I tell him? And like, what can he take in and what can he understand? And what's my job? to make him feel okay about and what's my job to give him like a healthy, like a healthy fear, right. like a knowledge about and w- without going crazy, like without being afraid to step out of our house. Um, and it's a, it's a tough balance. Yeah. I talk about, we are, um, I'm a New Yorker by by birth and everything else, but we live in Southern California and my kid, we go to the beach a lot. And especially during the pandemic, that became like our haven because I was like, okay, it's like somewhere I can go. You can be outside. It, it's like very large. Um, and exactly like I actually think about like life and the world and the news very much how I think about the ocean. Um, which is that like, in all honesty, I'm pretty afraid of the ocean. I'm not a big ocean swimmer. Like I, yeah, like I love seeing it and hearing it, but it's like too big for me. Um, and I really have sort of committed to giving my friend, my kids this healthy fear, right? Like I actually don't want them to be afraid to go and run in the waves. And I also want them to like, always know that the ocean is bigger than them. Right. And I, I sort of think like, wow, maybe that's the metaphor for, the worlds we live in right now, like maybe that's the metaphor for parenting of like, how do I like, first of all, give you the actual tools to like navigate this place, right? Like, how do you learn to like swim in an ocean? I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm working on it. Um, You know, and also like, how do I give you exactly that? Like, not so much fear that like, you know, I have friends whose kids like will not go near the ocean. Right? I don't want that. Like, I want you to go in the ocean. Like, I want you to like, love it and laugh and like get hit by the wave and get up again. Um, and so, but yeah, like how, when and how, when, you know, what do I share and all of those things. That is such a beautiful metaphor. I'm just thinking how many times we've had such beautiful metaphors in this conversation. And I'm like, oh, it's because I'm talking to a rabbi. (laughs) (laughs) Storytelling and metaphors is your jam. It's true. It is my, I guess it is my jam. I do enjoy a story. Was there a time during um, the last year or two where you just felt completely like uninspired and unable to lead in this way? Like there were no metaphors at your fingertips, no stories. And what did you do? Yeah. I mean, God, I sometimes think back like, you know, I think that that first say month was just all adrenaline, right? All of us. Like we were just running on adrenaline. I was like going from Zoom to Zoom and how are we, you know, like both the like technical, like how are we moving everything online, but also like, what does that mean? Like, how are we maintaining the connection, all of that? And I would say somewhere actually around, like I kind of remember it being summer where I just lost it. Like I was like, I I can't do this, right? Like you sort of said of like, I, I can't do this. Like I can't. For me, it was really like I for the and like look, every working parent and particularly working moms, right, has had the like, do I have enough to give to my job and my friends and myself and my spouse if I have one and my children, right? Like, where's all that pie being, 
you know, divvied up. And I just remember being like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually saying to my supervisor, exactly that. I said, I, I feel like what you need from me right now is creativity, right? Like you are looking to me to like, imagine and dream of like this sort of new reality. Um, and on the Jewish calendar, right, the, the, the high holidays, right, with always like the Super Bowl of, of the Jewish calendar is, is usually in the early fall. And I remember, in, and usually by like June, we're like thinking about what it's going to look like and how it's going to feel and the logistics. And I just remember thinking like, this is going to require like the deepest wells of creativity and imagining and caregiving. And I don't have it. Um, and I remember just saying like, I, I feel like I am, I, my other metaphor, which, so I did have the metaphor, right. Was at that point, And sometimes it was a pinball. Like I, I felt like I was just careening from meeting to meeting, kid need to kid need, you know, game of memory to dress up to Doc stuff, whatever it was. And like, never knowing actually where I was going, just sort of being like shot from place to place. And I was like, I, I, I can't do this. And I can't tap into anything bigger. Um, and I, I remember that very clearly and um, trying to figure out like, am I taking a leave of absence? Am I like, what am I doing? Because I can't do this. And um, it's actually when we started going to the beach once a week, I ended up, there was some caregiving act that, you know, the government had passed where I, so I ended up taking like an, a, an extra day off a week that was like, this is going to be beach day, right? Both for, you know, it was like the kids could get out of that, right? Like we were stuck in the house, even in LA. We're still like, there were no camps. There was like nothing over that summer. So like Wednesdays became beach day, right? Where I... And I tried to be pretty good. Like, I really tried to like, not check my, be like, I am offline this day. Like, and so the kids could be at the beach and they could be playing and still needy, but like, at least like I wasn't in the same four walls. So I felt like literally I could breathe, right? <laughs> like you could take off your mask at the beach because like no one was nearby. Um, and I also like, I have really clear memories, granted it's only like not even two years ago, which is um, of also like that was right when the when the indigo girls started doing their like they did like a i don't know if it's weekly or monthly online concerts and i would sit there outside like with the group chat going with some really close friends who were also all watching and like a glass of wine and this music that has been like soundtrack to my soul forever um and like yeah so like and somehow, like between all of that, I sort of was like, all right, <laughs> that like, and I, I can remember like sitting there with like the Indigo Girls playing and like, and, and sitting down and for like the first time in five months or whatever, like writing something that was like, like saying like, okay, here is what I have in my head. Here is what I've been like trying to get to. And I finally got it there. And it was like, okay, here's how I think we can hold our community for this moment. You just gave me chills. <laughs> I think one of the first times I felt really happy and free, um, this, you know, over the pandemic was this past fall when my friends, we all like met in the city and they came from like different places. We went to the Indigo Girls concert yes. with Anita Franco. Yes. I was there. I had actually- Were you there? Like, yeah, I was. I flew, I had decided like, months before that I was going to fly in, like, I was like, I need this. Uh, my mom ended up actually falling ill. She ended up in the hospital that week, which, but it was like, I was sort of like, okay, this is whether it's the divine hand or whatever. Like I was already flying in. I didn't like, I, cause she would have been like, no, 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 don't come. And I was like, okay, but like, I have to come, but this way she couldn't even say it. Right. I was yeah, like, right. I'm already coming. Oh my God. And then do you remember when it started to like oh, lightly rain? Perfect. It was perfection. And they sang Angel for Montgomery. And I was like, this is like the greatest moment. Oh, I mean, it really yeah. did feel like yeah. something yeah. from above. And it's interesting. The last two times I saw the Indigo Girls at summer stage where it also rained, I was pregnant. Like both, it happened to be like, and so I had that I was not this time, trust me. But I did have this sense of like, okay, this has been a space in the past of 
like knew something and like maybe this can be too. I'm not sure if it was because then, you know, the world didn't feel so free. But I remember thinking in that moment, like ah, possibility. There's possibility within you. I mean, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go, yeah. you know, in a in a line of like a, going up. <laughs> um, but at least there's possibility. There's yeah. space. Like, there's yeah. room now. Right. Right. Within you. So like you can at least get over this next hurdle or help someone else get up the hill. Right. And that's what your role is. Right. Because the hill might just keep getting steeper. We don't know. Right. But and I, right, and people I, like you. And I think, you know, so much in my role, like, like pandemic aside, right, like is also like holding people through the like the joys and sorrows of like life. So it's like, yes, there is a pandemic raging. Right. Like, yes, there's a million, you know, like and also like people in my community are having babies and getting divorced and getting married and losing loved ones, right? That has nothing to do with that pandemic. And so I think about like, no matter what, like even if tomorrow we wake up and it's like, oh, it's all gone, which clearly is not going to happen. Like life still happens, right? Like all those tools about resiliency and, and growth, like we still need them. I think the difference is we might not need them collectively in the way that we do now. Right. Right. Like we still are going to, I was just saying to a drop off today to another parent that like, even though like, even though COVID's happening, we have all these fears like COVID, 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 my kid might get COVID. Like we forget that they're still broken arms. Right. My kid broke her arm. Right. And the potential of, oh my God, like cancer, you know, there's like all these things that are still, we, we could add that to the list of worries. We've just decided that those things don't happen. Right. Because there's this other layer, right? You're not going out of business anytime soon, right? Like people are not going to stop having (laughs) worries and anxieties and things to deal with. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's, there has to be room for that leader, that space holder to, I guess, replenish their own space holding. Like when you just hit that bo- the bottom of your own well. And the same goes for parents. And I'm just so worried about parents right now. Oh God, right. Mothers no, especially. Like totally. we right. we've done we went we went to the bottom of the well and then we like knocked on the concrete below the dirt. Like dug and a little more. Dug even more and then we got like a teeny bit more like, and I'm just like how much deeper can yep. mothers keep digging? to hold more space right. and give and, more and to I, their kids. Right. I think, and what, yes, I mean, 2000%. Yes. And I think, I mean, I, what, and what is we're again, like, I think part of this particular gloss of it all is that like in normal times, right. If you are at the bottom of your well, like someone in your life isn't right. I think about that in the community also, right. Like, and yes, as as a as a community leader, right? Like I know how many people are going through it. But like in normal times, like yes, you have these sort of like I think about it as like you have these acute crises, but like most other people then are stable, right? Like in normal times, everyone has their own, I'm gonna use part of my French, everyone has their own shit, but like there are people who are fine-ish normally, right? Like They've got some stuff, but like they're they're fine. They've got what they need. Whereas like now it's like there is acute stuff, but also everyone is on some sort of acute level. Like no one is fine. And so again, it's like normally it, it's the same way I think about that, like Zoom Shiva. Like normally we have all of these tools to like hold people when they are in the acute phase. But those tools, I think, all require presence, both literal, but also like spiritual presence that I'm not sure anyone has because we're all like down there, like digging. But I think what you said still has to be true, that within the levels of being in acute, um, I don't know, moments of challenge, you put it better, 
um, there still has to be someone who's better off than you, who's like still dealing with it better than you. Probably. Right. Right. So find that person and be like, I need you to carry a little bit of this load right now so that I can just take a break from the digging. Yeah. And I will say like, you know, I mean, with my own stuff of this year, right? Like a uh, loss of a parent and another parent sick, like people have shown up even in the midst of the stuff people showed up. Um, and, and I don't, by the way, I don't think they did that because I was the communal leader, right? Like they showed up as friends and as fellow parents um, and as humans, you know, like food showed up at my door and a group of moms that I like mostly know only from WhatsApp, right? Like we played Mahjong like twice before the pandemic and then like showed up with a curated like box of art supplies for my kids when I was going to be gone, you know, for a week. Um, one, like there's been a long joke that I love, uh, Bartonura Moscato de Asti. It's terrible, but so delicious. And someone showed up with like, you know, two six packs at my door, right? Like people have, people are showing up, um, and, and that gives me great hope. And it feels good to show up. Right. For someone else. Right. I think it maybe especially right now, right? I feel like maybe especially right now, and like maybe that's like the answer of how we dig a little deeper is like, maybe I can't like fill my own cup or bucket, right? My kids love the bucket story. Um, but like maybe I can fill someone else's. Right. Like maybe it just feels too hard to like get into my own stuff or like, you know, maybe I can't read that story to my kid for the 97,000th time today. But like, you know what, I can like click on DoorDash and send someone else a meal. And like that's actually going to like give me a little lift. Yeah. It, well, I have a friend who went through something really, really hard and she felt she felt guilty that people were doing nice things for her. And I was like, you're doing them a favor by letting them do nice things for you because it makes them feel good. They, they, they feel helpless. They want to do something for you. Yeah. And you're just letting, let them do this. That makes them feel good. Even though you feel like it's too much. Right. Like I think, especially as, as a communal leader, you know, in other times in my life, like I had surgery a couple of years ago, like, my, I mean, it was real surgery, but it was not like particularly serious. And I had some friends be like, we want to send you meals. And like my immediate instinct is like, no, 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 we're fine. Right. Like I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I, I can do it all. Um, so like, we're fine. And someone, like I had a friend who was like, yeah, I'm not taking no. So just tell me what night, like it's not an option. And like when it showed up, I was like, this is so good. Like, this is so good. And it opens up space for me to whatever it was, right. Either whether like it opens up space that I can nap or it opens up space for at the time, you know, my husband who was like caretaking me and the kids like gives him space to not have to do something for a couple of hours, or it gives me space to like, just be with the kids. Right. Like, I don't know. I think we have a tradition, like a culture that's like, no, 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 we should be all be doing it ourselves. And like, why? Why don't have to. Right. Never did before, but the current culture says that we have yeah. to. So I want to, um, I want to leave you with two. I'm going to leave our audiences with two questions for you. One is, um, what's something that you like can't really admit because you're a rabbi? Like something that you can't say that you wish you could say. Like my congregants make me feel sometimes like like a secret rabbi confession because you're anonymous here and this is your safe space. I'm like, we'll see how anonymous I gave a lot of clues. Um, (laughs) We don't even know where you live. I don't even think you said that. I gave some. Oh yeah, you Um, did one. Look, I think my secret anonymous confession has a lot to do. I don't know if this is as juicy as you wanted, but it is something I carry. Like I, I worry that my congregants see me only as like a mom and a friend and not as a rabbi. That because I share a lot of myself publicly, um, that it actually like takes away from my, you know, rabbinical wisdom. Mm, your authority. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know if it's juicy. But... It is. It is. Like it softens. 
like you being a human being right. and also being feminine. Yes. Right? right. Maternal mm-hmm. softens your validity as whatever yeah. people think a rabbi mm-hmm. yeah. should be. That's really, you know, that's really good. And then uh, my last question is, what is your, what is one of the most wonderful things about being a female rabbi, a female rabbi? I had a parent when I was fairly new in, in my current role, um, come up to me and, and she comes from a, a community that has like very traditional, for the most part, gender roles, right? And really is like not sold on the lady rabbi thing overall. And she came up to me after high holy date, right? Super Bowl services. And she came up to me and she sort of like whispered me aside. And she said, I am so glad that my daughter gets to see you up there. You know, and so like, I think one of the great things still in 2022 about being a, a, a we joke, uh, being a lady rabbi, uh, is that like, we're still breaking down people's assumptions. Um, and like, I love the idea of being role, a role model for little girls. And to be honest, also for to like, you know, make little boys think and, you know, people who are wondering, um, but like make them think about like stereotypes and assumptions. I love that. Thank you so much. This is fun. I'm like, I could have talked to you forever. Well, I know that we're meant to be friends because you started talking about Indigo Girls and I was like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And I was funny. As I said it, I was like, should I be saying something like deeply Jewish? Like I was like praying. But I was like, the reality is it wasn't prayer, right? It was. (laughs) It was. I actually, um, that's funny that I was on a podcast uh, a friend of mine has a podcast about sleepaway camp uh, and he did an episode on the Indigo girls. And I actually talked about how, like, for me, it is, it is prayerful. Those concepts. Yeah, yeah it really is. Thank you. Sh- thanks for sharing with us your rabbinical wisdom and your motherly wisdom and your leadership wisdom. Thank you very much for being a guest. Thank you.